Well, let's turn to Acts chapter 3 tonight. We're going to dive into the Word from right there. Wednesday nights are our nights that we can kick back and study the Word together. Amen? Amen. And so, um, I want to encourage you, as Pastor said last week, um, bring your Bibles and write in your Bibles and take good notes and go back over them and and uh, even if you never go over your notes, you still get more when you write it down. Mm-hmm. Amen? Amen? And I've got lots and lots of notes that I never touched a second time. But still, just the fact that something spoke to you and you wrote it down, it, uh, it gets in you better. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We give you praise for it. We thank you that it's life. To those that find it, it's health to all of our flesh. So we approach it expecting life and health tonight. And we thank you for that. We receive a word from you, from the teacher, the Holy Spirit. And uh, we just ask you to give us light and revelation. Help us to see things that we may have never seen before. And uh, help us, Father, to, and equip us to do things that we've never done before in these last days And so we thank you for it. We honor the word of God tonight and we give you glory for it. Amen. 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 Acts chapter 3, the story of Peter and John. We're going to start right there and uh, talk about some things. Uh, I felt kind of like talking about some things that are some roadblocks that might be in the way of letting God use you more. And uh, let's kick down some of those roadblocks tonight. How about that? Starts off in verse 1. It says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms, and fixing his eyes on him, With John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they that knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, uh, they knew that it was him and what had happened to him. And as the lame man who was healed, verse 11, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, All the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. Gives you some insight in the next couple verses in in their amazement and what they were thinking. Verse 12, it says, So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intently at us? As though by our own power or godliness we made this man to walk. The God of Abraham and Isaac 
And Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for murder to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. This is a, you could say this is supernatural evangelism. There's evangelism and then there's supernatural evangelism, which is the way that God intended evangelism to be. God expects us to advance the kingdom, right? We, we've got what we call the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 and Mark chapter 16. And the last thing that Jesus said before he left, he commissioned his church, he, he empowered his church, and he commissioned his church to go and preach the gospel to all the world. Uh, but a lot of people aren't going, are they? And uh, I saw some statistics online, and I'm going to read some of these to you. It, this comes from Barna Research. Uh, most Americans do not accept evangelism as a personal responsibility, this statistic says. Only one-third, or 32% of believers, claim they have an obligation to share their religious faith with those who believe differently. Acceptance of that responsibility is most widely accepted among those who are Pentecostal. Woohoo! Pentecostal churches. 73% of people in Pentecostal churches feel like it's their obligation to share their faith with people who are lost. And widely accepted and least widely accepted among Episcopalians, 12%, and Catholics, 17%. Here's another point. 51% of blacks strongly agree that they personally have a responsibility to tell other people about their religious beliefs versus 29% of the total uh, American population. And this is a, this, these stats are several years old. Americans living in the South feel more of a responsibility to share their faith with others than do adults in uh, other regions of the country. 40% of Southerners feel a sense of responsibility to share their faith with others. Makes you proud to be a Southerner, doesn't it? Compared to 25% of those living in the West or Midwest and 23% of those living in the Northeast. Only about half 53% of born-again Christians feel a sense of responsibility to tell others about their faith. In other words, nearly half of born-again Christians do not think it's their personal responsibility to share their religious beliefs and those who do not know, to those who do not know Christ. Overall, Catholics are less likely than any other denomination. 14% of Catholics uh, compared to 27% of mainline attenders, 48% of Protestant non-mainline attenders, and 52% of Baptists who feel this sense of responsibility. You know, our, our beliefs are what control all the things that we do. What, what you believe is controlling your life right now in every area of your life, and, and whether you like that area or you don't like that area. Whatever you're consistently doing 
you know, ongoing in your life without effort. I mean, the things that just seem to happen all the time in your life, those are all tied to what you believe. And so, you know, I, I, I kind of enjoy hearing messages, I don't know about you, that, that kick over sacred cows. You know, because I found out that some of my beliefs are sacred cows. They weren't scriptural. They weren't, you know, according to the, to the Bible. But they were just stuff that people said that you just kind of pick up. And it becomes a belief, you know. And uh, you hear something over and over. You hear your mama say it, your grandmama say it, and you go to a church that says it. Whether it's right or wrong, eventually, if you don't find out the source of truth, you'll just adopt that as a belief. And that belief will control your life. Amen. And so, you know, I, I'm a big advocate at examining what you believe. Amen. Taking the scripture, examining it, finding out if something's not working in your life, try to locate what you're believing. If something is consistently happening in your life over and over again without you, you know, I, I'm not talking about stuff that, crazy stuff that you do that has you know, repercussion. I'm talking about just stuff that happens all the time. You just can't seem to ever get ahead. You just, you know, you always seem to just live from paycheck to paycheck, or maybe every winter you get the strep throat or whatever, whatever that is. And it's just been happening ongoing for a long time. You've got to realize that effortless, consistent stuff that happens in your life is always a result of what you're believing. It's something that you're believing and if you locate that belief and, and renew your mind with the Word of God, then you can move the boundaries of your life, the limited places, that you, those walls you keep coming up against. You can extend those out if you locate what you believe. Amen? You live by faith. And, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, we say that in a positive sense, you know, because the Scripture says in four places the just shall live by faith— but you, you're living by your faith. The things that you believe are effortlessly producing things in your life. Uh, like we said, whether you uh, like those things or you don't like them. And so when it comes to sharing the gospel with people, uh, I think a lot of people don't do that. And the root cause of why they don't do it is some things that they believe. You follow me? It's just some, it's some things that they've picked up. Maybe they don't believe like these people. Maybe they don't believe they're supposed to or have a responsibility to. Maybe they've never got in the Scriptures. Maybe they never heard Jesus say that, you know, go into all the world and preach the gospel. You know, this gospel shall be preached to every nation, and then the end shall come. Our mission on the earth is, is to do that, is to get that gospel out there, whether you're going yourself or you're helping send somebody or you're praying for somebody or you're part of a church that has a heart of missions. All of that is part of going. Amen? And so put that, that uh, chart up on the screen. Here's another statistic that comes uh, from Barna. And this is what, what Americans believe is what it's titled. And they made statements to, you know, in these polls and they, they asked people, when we make the statement, we want you to say you strongly agree, you somewhat agree, you strongly disagree, 
or you disagree somewhat. And so here's two statements that they made. The first one is Christians have a responsibility to evangelize. Now, the first stats I gave you are about 10 years old. These are only about two years old. Christians have a responsibility to evangelize others. 35% said they strongly disagree with that. You can see how culture is changing over time. Amen? You know, we generations that, that aren't taught in the things of God grow up and they adopt their own beliefs. And so now we've got 35% that strongly disagree. We've got 19% that, that somewhat disagree. Well, they're not going to share their faith if they somewhat disagree that they don't, that I don't have a responsibility to do it. And then 20% agree somewhat. And I promise you, those 20% that agree somewhat, they're probably not going to share their faith either. It's just an acknowledgement. Yeah, I, I, yeah I, I think we should share our faith, you know. Because if they were sharing their faith, they would be in this 26% who agree strongly that it is my responsibility to share my faith. And so you, so you could say, what, uh, 55, 65, 70, 75, 74% of people are probably that believe in Jesus are probably not sharing their faith because of a belief. And the belief is, it's not my responsibility. And then look at this other question over here. This is, this is astounding to me, but I don't doubt it. Good works result in going to heaven. 25% agree strongly that you're going to get to heaven because you're good enough. 30% somewhat agree. So the majority still believe that your good works are going to get you to heaven. Now, these people that believe this, they're not out evangelizing because they don't think that people need to be born again to go to heaven. They believe it's all about if you do good. 14% disagree somewhat. 28%, thank God, strongly disagree that good works result in going to heaven. And I know we're, we're all believers here. We, most of us probably, uh, we know this, but your good works are not going to get you to heaven, right? The, uh, there's only one way to get to heaven. And there's not a lot of ways. It's one way. It's Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No man comes to the Father, what? Except through me. And so we believe that people have to believe in the finished work of Jesus to go to heaven, right? If we confess that, we believe that with our heart, if we confess that with our mouth, Romans 10 says, then we would be, we'll be saved. And so at, at this church, this Pentecostal, this word church, we believe in what these 25% and what these 26%, that's where we would place ourselves, that good works will not result in you going to heaven. There's a lot of people that do a lot of good works that are not going to heaven. Amen? So all got to come back to what the Scripture says. You can't get to heaven by just doing a lot of good stuff. You can only get to heaven through Jesus. Amen? Whether you've done no good works or whether you've done a lot of good works, you've got to be born again. And when you believe that you have to be born again to go to heaven then it causes you to have a, a belief that, that propels you into evangelism. Amen? Because not everybody believes this. And the only way that they can believe this 
is if we share it with them, right? And so there's a lot of different ways why people uh, don't evangelize, and this, these are a few of them. But I want to go back to this verse in Acts chapter 3, and I want to I pick out two things here that I believe the Holy Ghost emphasizes that cause people to draw back and not be used of God. Before we identify these two things, let me say this, that God never intended for the gospel to be shared without the supernatural. I want you to see that. Go through the book of Acts, read through it, read through the, what Jesus, look at Jesus' life. He's our model. He's our blueprint for what the body of Christ is supposed to do in the earth. The works that I do, what? Shall you do also his works? What are his works? Did he just go around sharing things? No. He went around with power doing signs and wonders and miracles, and it backed up the message that he preached. Amen? And so we come over into the new covenant. Jesus is, is, is ascended to the right hand of the Father. And now in 1 Corinthians, I believe it was, Paul wrote that the kingdom of God is not in word but in power. Amen? It's not just in word. We're not just to preach. Paul in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he said, when I came to you, Corinthians, he said, I did, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but it was in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 2 says, so that your faith would rest in what? In some doctrine? No, in the power of God. See, without a demonstration of power, people's faith will not be in the power of God. But their, their faith will only be in doctrine. Their faith will only be in words. We've got to be careful as the church of the last days that we don't settle into a place to where our beliefs, our, our, our faith is in word only. Amen? We become word police. We, it's, it, our goal is to make sure that our doctrine is correct. Our goal is the power. Our goal is to be demonstrators of the power of God. So when we read Acts chapter 3, we see supernatural evangelism. We see uh, Peter and John, they're advancing the kingdom, but it's the supernatural that launches them into a platform where they can share the gospel effectively. Amen. We need signs and wonders. And we have to be a church that contends for the power of God. In prayer, we have, to, we have to stir ourselves up and shake ourselves if we find, uh, and, and we are. I mean, I, I, we're, we're, we're a church that's, I think, by word and, and power, well advanced beyond where a lot of people are. But still, we live in a day where we've got to stir ourselves up about the power. We've got to realize something about the power of God that, we're, that we are equipped to advance the kingdom with power and with words. So uh, two things here I want to identify that, that, they, uh, that they talked about here. And it's in, in verse um, 12. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people and said, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Let me say this. There's, a, there's, a, there's some places in the Bible where Jesus rebuked people for marveling. 
got to be careful what you marvel at because marveling can be unbelief. Amen? Because if the supernatural makes us marvel, then number one, we're not used to it. We don't see it enough for it to be commonplace. Amen? And we shouldn't marvel that something happened that Jesus said would happen. I mean, if somebody comes out of a wheelchair, we shouldn't just get all, go crazy and go, oh, I can't believe it. <laughs> You're marveling, right? There's only one place that Jesus himself marveled, and that was when he marveled at, at, at people's faith, at the centurion's faith. You know, the, the guy, evidently, that kind of faith was so uncommon that Jesus himself marveled at it. But when God tells you something is going to happen and it happens, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be in disbelief. Wow, my prayer got answered. Well, he said he would answer your prayers, right? Wow, the tumor is shrinking. Well, he said it would. Amen? Be careful what you marvel at. So he said, don't marvel at this. He said, why do you look so intently at us, watch this, as though by our own power or godliness we made this man to walk? So the first thing is, the first, the first uh, thing that we're going to kick over here is that God uses me based on my power. This is what these people were confused about. He said, why do you look at us? as though through our own power or our own godliness, we made this man to walk. Or when I say power, I'm talking about your perception of how anointed you are. Your, you have a perception of power in your life. And it's your perception of how anointed you are. And a lot of people don't, let, don't get themselves into a place for God to use them because they have a wrong perception of how anointed they are. Well, I know pastor's anointed, you know. I know this person's anointed, but, you know, we're, we're talking about me here. And so this, there's a belief there that God will use you according to your power. And then the second thing is that God is using me based on my godliness. When I say my godliness, I'm talking about my perception of how well I've measured up. So here's two things that this scripture debunks, it, it, that, that it, 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 two sacred cows that it kicks over, if you want to say that, is that, number one, God will use me based on the power that I have in my life, you know, and, and I don't know about how, you know, I don't feel any power, you know, I don't get up on Monday morning and power is just emanating from my body, so I don't really know, maybe Pastor Bobby does when he gets up, you know, maybe he doesn't dress like I do. Maybe he just gets up and floats into his clothes because he's just so powerful. <laughs> and, you know, that, that's extreme, but yet the belief is still the same that a lot of people have is that God uses him because he is so anointed. God uses this person because they are so anointed. God's not using me because I'm not as anointed as they are. We're going to kick that over. Amen. So first, let's destroy 
some, some misunderstood beliefs about the anointing. Here's some things you can write down about the anointing. Number one, it's his power, it's not your power. It's simple, but, but, but think about it. It's his power on you, through you, it's not your power. It's the power that comes from being filled with the Holy Ghost. When you receive Jesus, you receive this anointing. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, this anointing begins to flow from your life in a more powerful way. So everybody saved has an anointing. But that anointing doesn't really begin to be effective and flow in your life until you've surrendered to the person of the Holy Spirit. And the evidence of surrendering to the person of the Holy Spirit is when he flows through you and the first time you begin to speak in tongues. People that, people that don't speak in tongues have not surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit. It's very simple. And that's not condemning in any way. I mean, I was at that place at one time too. I was saved, but I had never, I'd heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I knew people spoke in tongues and I'd seen that and I actually wanted that. But I had never come to that place of where, okay, I surrender my life to you, Holy Spirit. I ask you to baptize me in the Holy Spirit, Lord. I give you my whole body. I give you I, the last thing that, that James says is that to be tamed is the tongue. That's why speaking in tongues is the first thing that happens when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Amen. It, you know, your tongue is the, is the hardest member. That is my phone. That's so embarrassing. Your tongue is the hardest member to, to get control of. I can get control of my arm, my hands, my feet. I, I, I can even control my thoughts easier than I can control my tongue. And I think everybody in here would say, amen, amen. And so when you surrender to the Holy Spirit, that's when you yield control of your whole being to the person of the Holy Spirit. And so that's why tongues is, is the evidence of being filled because you're, it's that last member. It's that proof that you've yielded your entire being. So you can't say, Holy Spirit, I'll give you everything except my tongue. You'll never experience the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Amen? You've got to give him everything. You've got to come to that place where you say, I, I want it all. I want everything you've got, and I want to give you everything that I've got. I yield to you. And as you do, he fills you, and, and you open your mouth, and you begin to speak in other tongues. And so that's where that anointing begins to flow out of your life. How many of you remember when you got filled with the Holy Ghost? I remember exactly where I was. I remember, I remember the room I was in. I remember the lady that led me into the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I remember the thoughts that were going through my mind while I was speaking in tongues. I mean, like it was yesterday. And those thoughts were, you're an idiot. You're a babbling idiot. It sounds crazy. What you're doing is stupid, you know. But, but thank God she had instructed me that those thoughts would come and to throw those thoughts down and just yield myself to the Holy Spirit and just be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Amen? And I remember after I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, 
I was so aware of God, God the Holy Ghost. I was aware of how he wanted to use me. And I mean, it was just like, a, it was like being born again, again for me. I got born again in 82, but I got baptized in the Holy Ghost in 85. So three years of walking without the power of God. I got, I got born again in, in, while we were going to Dr. Charles Stanley's church, First Baptist Church of Atlanta. And, uh, but man, when I got baptized in the Holy Ghost, it radically changed my life. It was at that point, immediately, when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I was 19 years old, I started sensing the call of God. Never sensed the call of God on my life until I got baptized in the Holy Ghost. And then the Word of God came alive to me. You, you, all of this that I'm describing to you is the anointing, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. You have an anointing. But when you get baptized in the Holy Ghost, the power, the anointing begins to flow out of you, and you begin to be a blessing to the body of Christ in a way that you never have. And so that, that's what that anointing is. Look, listen to these scriptures, 1 Corinthians 1.21. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. So based on that scripture, are you anointed? You're anointed. You have the same anointing that Jesus had when he walked on the earth. There's not two Holy Ghost. There's only one. Same Holy Ghost, same anointing. You got the same one Jesus had. Listen to this scripture, 1 John 2.20 and verse 27. It says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. That doesn't mean you know everything all at once. It just means that every time you come into a situation where you need to know something, the Holy Spirit is there to help you know it by the anointing. You have an anointing from the Holy One. You know all things. But the anointing which you've received from Him, verse 27, abides in you and you do not have need that anyone teach you. Now, Jesus gave teachers to the body of Christ, so we know that there's, there's a place for people teaching you. What this means is, is that you're not so spiritually dumb that you can't figure anything out without a teacher. You have a teacher in you. The anointing will teach you. Jesus said he'll teach you things to come. He'll lead you and guide you into truth. He'll take what of his and reveal it unto you. He'll remind you of things that God said to you. This teacher that's on the inside. Titus 2.11 says that the grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching us. So grace, the power of the Holy Spirit, is your personal teacher. Amen? And you can depend on him to teach you. So the anointing, listen to this, the anointing, we're talking about the anointing and, and kicking over maybe some sacred cows that people have. The anointing works for anyone who will act on the word. The anointing, the power of the Holy Spirit will work for anyone, any believer, who will boldly act on the word of God. See, a lot of people are not letting God use them. Because they think, well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not as anointed as sister so-and-so. or I know God uses her all the time. She, man, she's got an anointing. I just don't have an anointing like she has. Don't ever say that. You have the anointing of Jesus. Amen? 
And all you've got to do is boldly act on the word, and that anointing will work for you the same way. There's no such thing as one person having more anointing than another person. And I'm getting into some things that are a lot of, there are a lot of charismatic wrong beliefs. Amen? You have an anointing to do what God's called you to do. Don't compare that anointing to somebody else. Never compare yourself to anybody else when it comes to spiritual power and anointing. Amen? You've got the anointing of Jesus in you. Those scriptures we, re we read tells us. No one is more anointed to do the works of Christ than another person. No believer is more anointed to do the works of Jesus than another person. Now, I know some people have, have areas that they're anointed in, and, and yes, they have a, a greater degree of power and grace to do that because God's called them to do that. But we're all called to do the works of Jesus. We're all called to teach, preach, and heal. We're all called to lay hands on the sick. Amen? We're all called to, to raise the dead. We're all called. Everything Jesus did, those works that he did, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, go back and read them. Everything that he did, every believer is anointed in the same way to do those works. Amen. So they said, it's not by our power. Don't look at us. It's not by our power we made this man to walk. So it wasn't Peter and John's anointing that got the man healed. It was faith in the name of Jesus. And they said that, didn't they? It was an anointed believer who had faith in the authority of the name of Jesus. And any believer who has the boldness to step out on faith, in faith, in the power and the authority of the name of Jesus can get the same results that Peter and John did. I'll, Brother Hagan used to say this all the time. He said, we don't have a lack, we don't have a need for more knowledge in the body of Christ. We have a need for boldness. Amen? Boldness. To step out and, and believe what the Scripture says about what you have. He said, I don't have money, I don't have silver and gold, but I got something. I got faith in the power in that name, and I'm giving it to you right now in the name of Jesus. Get up. And I like to add this, and I've said this before, but you know when they said that, nothing happened? It wasn't until Peter went a step further and took the man by the hand and pulled him up. So his faith, he wasn't settling for, for no results. And that's boldness, isn't it? I mean, what if you walked up to somebody and said, that was crippled and said, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk and nothing happened. Well, I guess the Lord doesn't want to heal him today. No. They said, no. I've got something that will work in this situation get up in the name of Jesus and walk. And he reached down and grabbed him and pulled him up. And when he did, his ankle bones received strength. Amen. I've been listening to Andrew Womack teach on along these lines some lately. And he's been teaching on uh, taking the limits off of God. And one of the things that really spoke to me that I've, I've been endeavoring to practice in my own life is he said, God gave us an imagination that is powerful. It's God-given. It works in line with godly things. It's, it's kingdom-related. 
He said, when you read through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and you see Jesus doing something, stop and picture yourself doing that. See yourself. I mean, put yourself in that same place, walking on water, doing all those things. See yourself and imagine yourself do it. And he began to share this. He said, I started doing this. And he said, I went back about when uh, was it Elijah or Elisha raised the, the woman's son from the dead. And the scripture says that he went in the house where the man, where the boy was, and he laid on him. And he put his head where his head was, and his arms where his arm was, his feet. He laid on top of the boy. And as he laid there, the boy came to life. And he said, when I'm reading that, he said, I started, this was years ago, he said, I started picturing myself doing that how it would feel, the thoughts that would go through my mind, what it would look like. Not if Elisha did it, if Andrew did it. And he started picturing, using his imagination to do it. And he said when Jesus would raise people from the dead, he said because he wanted to see that in his ministry. You know, and he said, I, you, you got to believe it. you gotta, you got to imagine yourself doing that. you got, you got to let faith control your thought life. And he said he started seeing himself doing those things. And then he said, since then, he said, I've seen two people raised from the dead. One of the people was his own son, who they called him and told him was dead, and was dead for five hours. He was in the refrigeration box with a tag on his toe. He was dead. And God raised him from the dead. When they got to the hospital, he was praying. And if you know anything, when he lives in up in the mountains in Colorado and had to go down to Colorado City. Well, that's about an hour drive. So for an hour, you're driving knowing that your son is dead. And he's, he's praying. And he said, I had total peace. And he said, I'm praying in the Spirit, not emergency tongues, just praying in the Spirit. And he said, when I got to the hospital, they walked into the front door. His other son met him at the door. He said, we don't know what happened. He just came to life. And, and he's seen another person raised from the dead. But, you know, you don't see those things unless you first believe them. And then take them further than just acknowledgement and see yourself doing what Jesus said. The works that I do. Well, go read his works and see yourself doing those things. Amen? Because you'll never, you'll, you'll never do it until you, until you see it. So the second thing, we'll talk about this quickly. Uh, to, uh, they said it was not by our power, but he said it was is not by our our godliness. The people in Acts chapter three thought that the man was healed because of Peter and John's godliness. What is, what do you mean by godliness? Their holy behavior. They thought these must be really holy men to get results like this. Well, they hadn't been hanging around Peter just a few days before, you know. He wasn't too holy when he denied the Lord three times, was he? And cussed at one of the little girls, you know, that asked him about it, you know. And so he said it wasn't by our own holy behavior. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying these things to, to advocate a, a life of sin and God using you anyway. And I think you know that. But what I am saying is, is that God doesn't use us to the degrees of our holy behavior. If he did, we'd all be in trouble, right? Y'all are looking at me too holy right now. You're like, uh, no, we don't have to be. I don't have to be a prophet to know. You got issues in your life. 
You've got problems. You've got things that you're, you're, you're getting the victory over. Amen? And you don't live a perfect life, neither do, does anybody else, neither do I or anybody else. And God doesn't use us because of our godliness. Amen. You can't, you, can't, you can't say, well, when I get all this worked out in my life, God's really going to use me. No, God wants to use you right now with all your stuff. <laughs> Amen. So, and Peter was quick to point that out. It wasn't our holy behavior that caused this miracle to happen. People don't step out in faith for God to use them because they think it has something to do with them. In other words, people say, this kind of stuff only works when you're living right. Amen? Now, I, I may say something, but I, I promise you, if you'll examine the beliefs of your heart, maybe we have some beliefs that are connected to some of these statements. Amen? God won't use me until I'm living right. Well, let me ask you a question. What is right? Just think about that. What is right? Because people that say God won't use me because I'm not living right, well, then if you're not living right, then you ought to know what right is, right? What is right? And then once you identify what is right, let me ask you this. How much right is enough right? Amen. How much right is right? And, and do you even know everything that's right? No. So why would God use us only when we get everything right? Now, we're... we're, we're allowing our mind to be renewed and we're moving from glory to glory and from faith to faith and I understand all that but what God wants to do through you is connected only to and hear me tonight is connected only to the power of the finished work of Jesus Christ and you've got to believe that if you don't believe that then you will wait till the proverbial someday until you get all this stuff that you think is supposed to be right, right, and then when you hit that magic day, supernatural things will start happening. Now, supernatural things can start happening today if you'll boldly act on the power and the authority that's in the name of Jesus. Just act on what the Word says. Do what the Word says. Just do it. Amen? God using us is based on faith in the name of Jesus. Don't let the devil... Lie to you and don't let anybody else lie to you. Amen? Because we can allow pressure from people. Well, I, if I step out, you know, they, they know me. They'll, they know what I've done and, and, and all these things. And you've got this image in your mind of, of, of what a, Christ, a good, right Christian is supposed to look like. And you don't measure up to that image. And so it's always something that's off in the future sometimes. And I believe God wants to use us now, right now, right where we are, with all the stuff that's in our life, right now, God wants to use us to reach people. Don't you think Peter had some stuff in his life? Amen? And if you've got, you got some sin in your life, get it under the blood. Amen? Just, that's, what, that's what Jesus shed his blood for. Just go to him and say, Lord, forgive me for this, and 
I come to your throne, I get grace, I get mercy, and, and, and we're going to go with this again, and, and I'm expecting next time to have more victory in my life. Don't get all condemned over it. He's not condemning you. People may try to condemn you. You don't condemn. Don't condemn yourself. Don't let people condemn you. Don't let the devil condemn you. Just believe in the power and the authority that's in the name of Jesus. So you ask yourself that question. When am I going to believe that? When am I going to finally come to the conclusion that God will use me, Dane Massey, you put your own name there, God will use Dane Massey because I believe in the power and the authority of the name of Jesus. And I believe if I speak that, that name, the same exact things that happen in Acts 3 can happen in my life. See, I think a lot of people don't allow God to use them because of what they believe, because of some religious ideas of I'm not ready. I won't know what to say. Well, Jesus said you didn't have to know what to say. In fact, he said when they talked about the Holy Spirit using people, he said in that day when they deliver you up, he said don't be, don't be concerned about what you're going to say. He said the Holy Spirit will give you what to say in, in that hour or at that moment. You just got to have enough faith to square your shoulders back and get ready to open your mouth. Amen? Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I could do that. Well, then work on your faith then. Amen? Because that's what's holding you back. You believe in something wrong. You can do it. God, the Holy Spirit, can use you tremendously. Amen? So <clears throat> let me, let, let, let's do this real quick before we go. Um, let's just let's do a, a little exercise. I'm going to show you how to do a spiritual exercise to build up your faith in the name of Jesus. Is that okay? And you can turn to these scriptures or you can write them down if you if you, if you sinned and didn't bring your Bible tonight, you, you can write them down and go back and read it later. You know I'm joking. Philippians chapter 2, turn there. Philippians 2 and verse 10. Philippians 2, this will just take a second. Well, a few minutes. Philippians 2 verse 10. Here's what it says. It says, that at the name of Jesus, they're going to put it up there so you can follow, that at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow. How many knees are every knees? That's every one of them. Every knee should bow. What about the knee of cancer? What about the knee of back problems? Well, you know, the doctor said I have degenerative disc disease. So, you know, the, mine is a special case. No, it all is something that Jesus paid the price for you to be healed. It's every knee. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, those in heaven, those on the earth, and those under the earth. That's authority in three worlds right there. The name of Jesus has authority in three worlds, right? Heaven, earth, and under the earth. So, let's read it together. Ready? Read. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on the earth and those under the earth. Now, I want you to think about you stepping out boldly and God using you in a miracle. And I want you, now, now I want you to confess it in that light. Ready? That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth. 
Say it again. Every knee. Every knee bows to the name of Jesus. Amen? I, I've found myself having to go back to some of these scriptures and build my faith up, even though I've done it many, many times. But you can, you can be around enough sickness and people that are struggling and not receiving their healing. You can be around enough of that that it, could begin, it begins to deteriorate your own faith in this area. And you've got to go back to the authority of God's Word and renew your mind with it again. Just close your eyes and just say, okay, all right, every knee. Every knee is every knee. That's cancer. That's disease. When I lay my hands on sick people, every knee that is in the way of perfect health has to bow the knee to the name of Jesus that I'm using. Every knee. And you, and you see that. Use your imagination and say that and, and believe that over yourself. And your, it, your faith will come up to that. Amen. Look at Mark chapter 16 and verse 17. They're going to put it on the, on, the, on the sign. And these signs will follow those that believe. In my name, they'll cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll take up serpents. And if they drink ed anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. I just want us to take that last part right there. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to say this with me. I lay hands on the sick, and they recover. Now, with your eyes closed, I want you to see yourself doing that as you, as you, see, as you say this. All right, say it again. In the name of Jesus, by the authority in that name, I'm commissioned to lay hands on the sick. And when I lay hands on the sick, they recover. Hallelujah. Amen. As I was saying that, I was seeing myself laying hands on people. Is that what you were doing? And, and healing coming to them. Not 30 days from then or 60 days from them, right then. Amen. And then you can build up your faith in, in your calling and your anointing. You're anointed. Amen. Build up your faith in that. Don't think that you've you got to get to some mystical level of the anointing before God starts using you. You're anointed right now. Right now. We read that scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But uh, here's one in 2 Corinthians 5.18. You, know you know what it says. Now all things are of God. This is, you know, if any man be in Christ. Who has reconciled us to God and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. You need to see yourself in that ministry. God has anointed you to reconcile people to God. And if they're in sin, he's anointed you to reconcile them to God. If they're sick, he's anointed you to reconcile them to God. What does it mean physically, in a physical way to be reconciled to God? That means you're healed. Because Jesus paid for the sicknesses and the diseases when he hung on the cross. Amen? So if he paid for that, then the ministry of reconciliation has to do with healing, not just, re not just restoring people to a relationship with God, but restoring them bodily to a relationship with God. God wants them well. Amen? So say this with me. I have the ministry of reconciliation. I'm anointed 
to reconcile, to preach the gospel, to, to heal, to deliver, to cast out demons. I'm anointed to do these things. Amen. Amen. And you can go to Matthew 28 and the Great Commission, Mark chapter 16, the Great Commission, all those things that he commissioned you to do. Build your faith in those areas. Say those things over yourself. See yourself doing those things. And I want to encourage you, go back through the Gospels and read the life of Jesus and follow him as he walks down those roads and does those things that he does. And then when he does them, see yourself doing them. And then remember that scripture, the works that I do shall you do also. And greater works than these because I go into my Father. Amen? I, this is what I believe. I believe as I build my faith in these areas, then it kicks over the obstacles that are keeping me from doing what God wants me to do. Amen? Don't, don't get in that place of, well, you know, you're a preacher. God's called you. No, I'm a believer. I, first of all, function in my ministry as a believer. Amen? The other ministry stuff is, is just other stuff that I'll do. But I, first of all, first, Pastor Bobby, myself, other people that are called of God, have an anointing to teach or preach or, or whatever, they're first called to be a believer. Amen? Pastor Bobby's not first called to be a pastor. He's first called to be a believer. I'm first called to be a believer. Your first calling is a call to be a believer. And a believer is supposed to do the works of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. Father, thank you for the word tonight. Thank you for helping us to build ourselves up in faith and, and in, in allowing you to use us in a supernatural way, Father God. We see ourselves moving more and more into a place of supernatural ministry, supernatural evangelism, supernatural, everything we do. Lord, we, it's going to be commonplace. The supernatural will, will become the natural for us. Supernatural things will become natural in our life because it's an everyday common occurrence. We're not going to marvel at it. We're not, gonna, we're not just going to see it as something way off in the future. We're going to see ourselves doing it today. Even as we leave this place tonight, Lord, we're conscious that everywhere we go, we're a minister of reconciliation and we are anointed in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Did you get anything tonight? Amen. Amen. You want to do the offering? You want, okay. We're going to have, uh, there, there's um, anointed ushers at the door with, with, uh, with buckets. And we can, if you're giving tonight, you can give as you go out the door. Let's all stand. Thank you for coming on a Wednesday night. Looking forward to a great service this Sunday. Amen. Memorial weekend. Hallelujah. I mean, you know, God moves on holidays. Praise the Lord.